everyone, and welcome to another episode of Gathering Ground. I'm Mary Morton, and this is just not another episode. This is a very special episode because we are all reunited again here in beautiful, lovely Detroit, Michigan. And I have an opportunity to talk with Angelique and Tracy, Angelique Power and Tracy Hall, to many of you. Uh, but this will be our third fireside chat. It's it's hard to believe, right? And we have we have adjusted to different locations. We've come to a different spot all together. It's our fourth one. Angelique is. is giving me the fourth side. Yeah, because we were in the basement together first. Oh, over in uh, the space over on Clark Street yes. in Andersonville. Yes. yes, and then we did twice. During the pandemic, we yes. did a virtual. Oh. Then you guys came last year. Okay. And now we're okay, doing it again. Yeah, four. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. Four I love eight. it. That's right. Uh, it's lovely. It is wonderful to see you both in person. Yeah. It's been a year for uh, since I've seen you, Angelique, in person. I've seen Tracy a few times in yeah. Chicago. But, you know, we have so much to catch up on, and we're just going to take our time and do it. Okay? So, of course, we want to just check in, right? So, Angelique... You moved to Detroit. It's now going on two years. Two years. Yeah. Can you believe it? I can't. And, and you relocated, right, family uh, to Detroit. So we want to hear about how that's going. And Tracy, you've had the most extraordinary year mm-hmm. uh, with the American Library Association. And so we're going to get into all that as well. So let's start here in Detroit. Um, Angelique, how's it going? How's it going in terms of settling into Detroit yeah. and and having your family here and, and just getting down to it? Yeah. Well, you know, year one was so much like being a student and learning and everything was new and every person was new. And, you know, in Detroit, you've got to prove yourself. Like people just look at you, give you the side eye and they're like, mm-hmm, where are you from? What do you want? And so... Um, you know, and I actually found that exciting. I found that an exciting challenge. And so year two is a little bit different. Um, I think most of us feel like life moved into Technicolor this year. And suddenly it was like, we're traveling, we're at events, we're having breakfast together. And um, my normal shifted to the way that I was during the pandemic, which was like more at home more centered, like cooking and, you know, so I find that I have to work myself up to to do my life. Um, There's a certain amount of like dread, you know, like, oh, God, I've got to do this. Understood. Mm -hmm. And it's like coupled with um, actually once I'm there in those spaces, I'm like, oh, phew, I'm with people again. I'm connected again. Mm -hmm. So. I haven't found my balance, but um, I love being in Detroit. I've found friends here, real friends, sister friends. Um, I think that work we'll talk about, but it's moving into a different space. And so I'm, I'm, in, I'm finding a rhythm. Wonderful. That's, I mean, that's what you, the best you could hope for, right? Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Tracy, what would you say? How, how would you sort of, you know? How are things going? Uh, before we get, delve into some of the uh, specifics around what's happening at the ALA. Yeah, really, I definitely agree that it's been a period of transition. The um, 2020, thinking about 2020 and 2021 pre-vaccine, right, is um, really 
found me as well in a whole different space in terms of being at home, which is something that for me, I had to reacquaint myself with what home means Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, just being on the road constantly, uh, being on the go constantly, you know, I grew so many beautiful plants Mm -hmm. and um, it was cooking and, um, you know, I moved to a new space and was working on that. Um, You know, I bought a place in Montgomery Mm -hmm. and just like the domestic space, like domestic life, Mm -hmm. um, friends and family became really, I think, much more of a center for me. Mm -hmm. And um, even though I had a new job. So I think now I find myself longing not for, you know, of course, the first days of the pandemic, but really um, longing for that opportunity to spend long periods of time at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yes. yeah, right? I totally agree with that. And and just in the last couple of weeks have had um, meetings in person, which is new. And it's a reminder of how we used to operate on a more regular basis. Yeah. Uh, but just like you, I really, I really was getting into being at home for long periods of time. And even when I can go out sometimes, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can I order that? <laughs> Do I have to go into the store, actually, and get it? Right. Um, but really getting into just, yeah, enjoying being at home and continuing to enjoy that. And now trying to, what you were saying, Angelique, oh, oh God, I've got to get dressed. And I, I, I was telling you, um, yesterday I had a week where I had six out of seven nights I had a place to go. And that's unusual. Yeah. And even at the height of busyness, pr- prior to the to the pandemic was I ever doing that but it just things just bunched up that particular week and it was six out of seven nights when I had to really get dressed up to go out right and that was something that I don't probably want to do Mm-mm. I don't want to do that again I don't want to have that kind of life and I don't want to I am uh someone who would sort of uh, event hop I go to multiple events in a night you just get into that groove and I certainly got into that groove when I used to work you know in in government because like pride month right now yeah it's just 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> there's some place to go. There's somewhere to be. And I'm happy I don't have to do that kind of, you know, um, showing up, if you will. So I'm trying to find that balance, too, of, of what's enough mm-hmm. and and what uh, boundaries do I want to set? Because I feel like if we don't set some, at least for me, I'm going to slide right back into the kind of schedule I had prior to COVID. And I don't want to go there. That's I don't know. What are you all thinking? Don't you think, though... One thing I have to remind myself is that I've chosen a public life. Yes. So mm-hmm. this isn't about me trying to have my mom's life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, right. my mom was really, you know, uh, very involved in in the community, but it, it's very different, I think. So I I find myself having to deal with the reality that I've created. That's beautiful. That's that's. Really, uh, um, I think an incredible way to look at it in terms of what what's your choice, right? And that was why I I think I decided not to run for office. I yeah. have been asked a thousand times to run for office. Oh wow! And yes. I felt like uh, when I worked for the mayor, that was as close as I was going to get to having that kind of life. And in fact, uh, interestingly enough, a number of years ago, I ran into J.B. Pritzker before he was governor in the elevator during Pride Month, and he said, "Are you running for office?" Because every place I go, you go. And he was running for office and said, it's just my job. He's like, don't I, run against me. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, this is just, I said, this is just what I, I you know, I, I need to show up. And it feels like this was just a precursor to what it would be like running for office and being in office. And there were just some concerns about privacy, which you really 
you give up in many ways. And so I think there's some different levels of it. To your point, you've chosen a public life, right? There's no way you're going to be the executive director of the ALA and not be public. It comes with the territory. And so understanding that. And similarly with you, running a foundation, there is a public nature to it. And is that the, is that a piece you're comfortable with? Yes. I mean, I think that it's important to be uh, in community and of community when you are um, in these seats of privilege. I also think that there's something very uh, performative about some of these. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, we're going to get to free people read freely. Mm -hmm. But it is something that I have been thinking a lot about. I'm 52. I've been thinking a lot about freedom. And what I actually want, you could say Skillman Foundation is about equitable education systems, but we're really about freedom, young people having the freedom to design the life of their dreams and to create their own destiny. And I want that for myself, too. I want to make choices that I'm not trying to please a million people. I'm trying to take this short period that I have on this planet. And when I do show up, I want to show up fully. I want to connect. I want to fill up, which I do. I, I do, even if I'm like, oh, I got to go. Mm -hmm. As soon as I'm in any place, I just get so, I plug into that electricity mm -hmm. and I connect mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. But then I hit my limit. And, yeah. and I am like, now I need to go recover. I need to fill myself up. Yeah. And I want to make those choices. So it, that's how, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, I don't know if I've talked to you guys about my decade plans. Do you know this about me? No. no. I know you've made some choices about all kinds of ways you want things to look at the end. But yeah. 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 Um, and you both know that I sit down with other people and I'll say, let's make a plan. Let's yes. make a plan for your career. Mm -hmm. Let's yes. make a plan yes. for this and that. Yes. I love doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but I do that for myself. And so my 40s was like the focus was on core, like my spiritual core, my intellectual core. Um, my emotional core and my physical core. The physical core I'm going to get to uh, mm -hmm. in my 50s. Mm -hmm. But everything else I like, you know, dove into. My 50s plan is recalibration. Mm. And so I'm recalibrating my idea of uh, success. Mm -hmm. mm. I'm recalibrating my idea of womanhood. I'm recalibrating my idea of work. Mm -hmm. and home mm -hmm. and peace and it's really something that I'm in the middle of I have not I'm in the beginning of it really um, but that is a big part of what I'm now walking through is like so what does it mean to be a woman when you're in a season of change what yes. does it mean to be um, uh, someone who works in a space where you're moving capital around, where by nature it's transactional, by mm -hmm. nature it's mm -hmm. uh, an imbalance of power dynamics. Yep. And how do you recalibrate being of community in those spaces, you know, and how you show up and the way you try to change that? So I'm very early yet, but that is, that's going to be my focus for the decade. Mm. Recalibration. Recalibration. Okay. And what are you thinking in terms of... Um just a little bit more about where you're focused as you are now in, what year is it for the ALA? Is it? It's uh, year, three and a half three, now, it's, yeah. Where has the time gone? <laughs> right? I, I know you're going to be able to tell us that in just Listen. a few moments when we talk more about uh, what's been happening. But yeah, what are you thinking in terms of how you move forward in this mm. new this new time? 
I would say that at this moment, one of the things I'm really um, maybe preoccupied with is that I am just about two years out from the age my mom was when she died, Uh, like really suddenly, right? mm -hmm. So, you know, that, you know, makes me feel like I have to work or live in black women's time, right? Mm. Which is like really like double time. Yes. And like at work, I have to do things now and I have to move quickly. And in my life, I have to make things happen um, because I might not be here, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not that, you know, I feel like I'm near the end, but what I do know is I can't take it for granted. Absolutely. So, yeah, I feel, you know, I I feel like I have to be both living sustainably, like thinking about um, health and wellness in a different way, but it also means that I have to make sure that what I, I do matters and actually becomes matter like i'm really mm-hmm. really interested interesting. in like building infrastructure um and like railroad for maybe other people like i'm definitely recognizing that anything that is worth doing now is really not going to benefit me and should it center me at all like that's not even a question it really has to be about um, not doing things for, but doing things with people and making sure that the benefit is a collective benefit. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm thinking about. Really um, focusing on more of a purposeful. Theme. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, like uh, Guillermo Pena says, you know, in one of his books, I don't know if it's Gringos Troika. But he he asked this question right at the beginning. He says, um, are you a citizen of space and time? Mm. And um, I, you know, came across that question when I was like maybe in my 20s. And I've never left that question, you know. So, like, right now I'm like, is what I'm doing putting this work or whatever it is in conversation with – people across geographies and people across generations. Mm-hmm. Like it has to have that kind of focus, yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to come back to all of that and talk a little bit more about what's happening individually, but want to just focus a little bit on where all of us spend most of our time, which is at work, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, what's wrong with that paradigm? <laughs> right. What, you know, um, yet, uh, want to just hear, what are you proud of? What What are the things that have happened in the last two years that you're proud of with regard to the place where you spend most of your time? Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, you know, the we did a year-long listening tour with the full staff that went from listening to this community-rooted strategic planning process. And that has translated into a new strategy for Skillman. And the long and short of it is the inside-outside game. It's really about how does change happen. It happens through um, those that are closest to the work, and we call them the ground builders. So those are young people. Those are educators. Those are residents. And so how do we create equitable education systems? We have the ground builders who know the most lead systems change. 
So the inside game is the ground builders are the designers, and the outside game is policy makers. And mm. so um, policy is actually where a lot of the systems are designed. And although you have wonderful warriors that are policy makers, they are not the right people to design those policies. You actually need the ground builders to do it. Mm -hmm. And so Skillman has this unique position where we can be invited to tables with the policy makers, and we actually have earned our keep with the ground builders too. And so we can reset tables. Um, we can bring together, because often the ground builders, because they aren't part of creating good policy, then their position is to react to bad policy and reject it. And so um, we waste so much time instead of actually like co-creating something and together. And having them in the room at the very beginning. Yes. And isn't this, this is what I found for young people, this is the only group of folks that the majority of the population feels completely fine making policies for, on behalf of, and never including them in never the conversation. Never including them. Thank you for saying that, Mary. So um, most proud of the inside-outside game strategy that was co-built. Second thing is that I get to work with young people all the time. And I also get to recast our understanding of young people right now. Um, there is this sort of benevolent uh, behavior, which is like, we will help the young people and it's like oh honey <laughs> mm -hmm. we need their help mm -hmm. we need them mm -hmm. to actually guide mm -hmm. us so Detroit is a young city 43% of people in Detroit are under 30 that's what the latest census has told us and so we talk a lot about Gen Z I think I was talking about them last time yeah, you were um, getting to this understanding of how they're, you know, 48% folks of color, one in um, five are LGBTQIA+, one in three know someone who's gender non-binary, intersectional in their identities and in their analysis of issues and their proposal of solutions. They're just, they see this vision that is not incrementalism. It's like wholesale change. And so we have added uh, the youngest board member in our history, 22-year-old uh, Jeremiah Steen, he's fantastic. We bring young people where we go when we go to policy conferences. Uh, we don't show up alone. We are actually known for like traveling with our young folks. We've been to Wyoming last year. We spent a week with um, Che with Rhymefest. He was there curating a week for us with indigenous youth and um, they weigh in on our strategy. And so we're actually in this space right now, not just of co-creating with um, you know, the usual suspects, but actually letting young people guide us. And I'm really excited Inviting about that. Inviting them to yeah. guide you, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we, I, I've been really trying to be more cognizant of the language I use, and we often talk about how we're gonna allow people in, and what we're trying to do is start using the language of encouraging and inviting folks mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. to share the space um, because they have as much onus, if not more, frankly, yeah. when you, you know, to what you were saying in terms of thinking about things that we're doing now may not have the impact. We may not see the impact right. of them right now, but people, you know, coming after us will, uh, yeah. such as the example of Toni Morrison. Yeah, no, I was... Um First of all, I just want to acknowledge uh, the work that mm -hmm. uh, the Skillman Foundation has been doing um, before and since your 
uh, arrival, but I think that recognition of um, nothing for us without us right. also extends to young people. Absolutely. We forget, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is really important. And when I think about the kinds of things that I myself recognize as not being tenable, um, you know, how we... The cognitive dissonance, right, mm-hmm. that's happening when we think about climate and not being able to connect it um, to the phenomena we were seeing around not just weather, but, you know, biohazards and that we normalize it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about the very foundations uh, of of society today are not going to be um, something that we can survive even two more generations unless we address it. That's Housing, right. you know, being from L.A. It's hard, hard. Living in Chicago, even, it's really hard to see people disconnect um, the rise in uh, the cost of housing and, and, and that people don't connect that to the growing number of people who are unhoused and look for ways to sort of make that the fault of people who are unhoused, moving too quickly to uh, reducing it to um, drug use mm-hmm. or to, you know, other kinds of things. Laziness, that, any lazy, number of any things. Any of those things, mm-hmm. right? right? And not, you know, connecting the fact that it, you might have been able to afford an apartment in Denver um, even three, four years ago for $750. And today that same apartment, same location is $1,800. Right. Because the first thing I do in, in my travels, especially because I take, you know, a lot of, you know, Lyft and Uber, is I talk to people who are driving mm-hmm. about, you know, rent and so things I. like that, home ownership. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this year for, at the American Library Association, I think this year in our sort of trajectory as a nation has found us having to wrangle with foundational questions about what democracy means. Mm -hmm. And it's not a surprise to me that libraries and schools are on the front line because the notion of public, right? The notion of the public and, and our ability to move together and value each other, you know, is something that is um, being contested now. So, so I think the, this, this idea about whether or not the right to read, Mm. um, the right to access information is at the foundation of a democracy. I mean, actually information withdrawal is the prelude to fascism, right? Yes, yes. When you remove, and that's what censorship is, Mm -hmm. you know, censorship is, you know, there's like this whole value chain that goes from misinformation, which is just wrong information, to disinformation, which is willfully wrong information, to information disparity, right? Uh, The information that you and I have, the quality of it, the volume of it is not the same. Information segregation, right? I have information, but you're not going to have it. Or I have uh, fiber optic, uh, uh, fiber uh, broadband, and you have, you know, old stuff. You're buffering, you know, you're just like moving in like slow motion and like a flip book, right? On the internet every time you get on it to then, you know, uh, one of the, you know, main extremes is information withdrawal. When you take information, remove information, like that we should be 
at a point in our democracy where disinformation is like a norm or a standard and then censorship is also something that you know you're seeing more and more uh, people being radicalized into you mm -hmm. know whether it is extremist groups who are not reading the materials and then still calling for bans or censorships mm -hmm. so i think i think for you know for us the mission of the American Library Association, you know, which was founded in 1876, you know, the mission basically is um, uh, with, um, you know, making sure that we are increasing uh, learning and uh, access to information for all. That's like our baseline uh, mission. And we find ourselves now having to fight for the basics. So since the last time, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I've seen you, we have seen a state vote to defund public libraries rather than allow uh, certain types of books to be on the shelves. And what are those books, right? Mostly those books are books that talk about civil rights, um, that talk about uh, um, the lived histories of uh, people who are BIPOC or LGBTQIA, so people of color or people who are queer. Uh, increasingly, also, um, books that really speak to women's rights. Um, and so, you know, again, it's almost like moving backwards um, in time. And, uh, and I feel like in some ways it has pushed those of us who work in libraries, certainly at the ALA, to, to a point where we cannot equivocate um, about intellectual freedom. We cannot equivocate about the right to read. And um, one of our uh, spaces, which is the Freedom to Read Foundation, which the American Library Association uh, founded in order to really just fight for the right to read, um, our slogan there, our mantra, if you will, is free people read freely. Yes. Very simple, right? Because sometimes if you talk about censorship, the words don't connect, right? Um, but everyone believes. That's our First Amendment, right? First Amendment, right? Freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, right? Freedom of the press. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are being contested now. So we, you know, we've, we've, we found, I think, our moment uh, and and we understand also too that this battle is also a battle for the existence and the preservation of libraries, which are the repository of free and open information. So um, this past year uh, for us has has been a year of reckoning and a year of intentionality and a year, you know, to Angelique's point of listening and acting, you know. Listening and acting. Yeah. Listening and acting. I mean, I'm just blown away right now. I know. Blown away. I know. So um, can I just, that was so deep and incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my, I have very superficial follow-up questions. All right. All okay. right, let's, let's go. Did you create Free people read freely. No, not at all. I, One of the staff members, uh, you know, this is my second time working at ALA, and um, one of our uh, staff members wanted to create something, or people were thinking, how can we connect? And um, free people read freely uh, is something that he, he, Don Woods, is something that was just his response, and it just 
stuck and it, you know, it sticks today. I think people, it connects. People understand that. Instantly. Yeah. And so you were voted, <laughs> am, I t- am I taking over, Mary? No, 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 go right ahead. <laughs> you were voted yes. one of Time's uh, 100 most influential. Most influential. <laughs> And, and what was that? Did, was that did we, did we lose audio there? It was an expletive. Yes. If you're not uh-huh. in the room. Yes, that's right. There was an expletive People there. People. Yes. This year. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the dress that you wore. How did you even decide what to wear to that? You looked gorgeous. Yeah, and that red. The hair it piece. Was, it was all... Well, the red for the uh, photograph, but then that night... The red was the National Book Awards. Okay, and then that night you had this gorgeous dress on, you had this gorgeous headpiece, then you stood up in front of the room and you testified. Yeah. After Amy Poehler introduced you. Yes. Can you just walk us through this? Well, I have to, first of all, give Amy Poehler the credit for letting me know that you really needed to bring your A-game, right? Yeah. Because... um, she was like, what are you going to wear? And, really? And, yeah. You had that kind of conversation with her. Yes, I love well, I love that when well, you can do that yeah. with people. Amy is really a champion for libraries, really, really believes in the mission of libraries. And so how this all went down is that um, what was really funny is that I um, was working really late less, you know, at night like I do. And uh, I think it was like almost 11. And uh, so right across like my, the transom, the digital transom, I'm working on something, but I have it so that I can see emails, mm-hmm. you know, come as in. they come mm-hmm. in. And so, you know, it's it's like, are you uh, a Tracy Hall who was born in Los Angeles and they had like some bio data, right? Uh-huh. So I'm like, all oh, these scammers, these fishers, mm-hmm. they, they listen, fishing is overdrive, right? It's like, you, so you coming to me letting me already know that you have my bio data. Yeah. So I pull it up, I'm like, let me see. So I said, you know, I'm thinking I'm speaking to somebody who is like, you know, doing like the best scam ever. So um, I look at the email and I'm like, oh, they are using time. Dot com. This is <laughs> who do they think they're fooling? Know, you yes. know, I'm, who do they yes. think they're fooling? That's right. So I wrote, you know, listen, you never ask for bio data unless you share your own bio data. There should be something that identifies you, blah, 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 mm-hmm. a link mm-hmm. to, because you're asking for a vital information and information literacy. We teach classes around this, so I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Okay, don't, don't try me. <laughs> don't try me, okay. basically. I should have just put, don't try me. <laughs> so the next morning, I get an email back, and it says... Uh, never before in the history of this list has someone confirmed who they were without confirming who they were. That is so. You funny. gave this whole and, and apparently they had circulated it. So even that with, it's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I couldn't believe it because you know, again, you know, not I, I'm not doing anything, um, even as a, you know an executive director. I'm not doing anything other than what a good librarian would, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like really surprising to me, but it I'm, I, I'm ecstatic for librarians and I'm ecstatic for uh, libraries that at this moment we have these types of platforms. And so how Amy Poehler in, entered the picture is that usually um, time as four people from that cohort mm-hmm. um, to give a toast or to you know to to give remarks, and I'm not anywhere like uh, 
uh, uh, Angela Bassett or any of those people. And so um, it was wonderful that Amy Poehler would um, agree to or want to introduce me so that we could split that time because she's the person with the star power. But um, I was really nervous. And what the remarks I wrote, I just wrote from my heart. Uh, I wanted people to know that we have this moment in time uh, to maintain our freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that this is, a, this is all of us in this struggle, you know. So, you talk to Amy Poehler about what you're wearing. Are you, are you leaving yeah, out the most important part of the story? Yes, outfit. outfit. Let me tell you too. Outfit. Like, listen. <laughs> First of all, I just want to, you know, 103rd Street all day. Okay. Here. You know, South Central LA stand up. So, you never finish. At first, Louisiana, you know, you never finished ever. You know, so. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna have, I'm a. I, she's saying, bring your A game. Let me see what, let me see, you know, what I'm gonna do here. And um, I wanted to wear this purple dress. I saw this purple dress online. Was, it didn't come, oh. you know, because all everything. Mm-hmm. So you always have to have a backup. Absolutely, a, B, Plan C, B. That's right. So I see this other dress, and I was like, you know, I gotta see what, you know, what, you know, because I got some stuff going on. You know how it is, <laughs> you know, all this and stuff we like that. Have? Yes, we you do. Know, you yes. know, I'm, I'm fluffy and all this, so I have to like, <laughs> I gotta work some stuff out. So my friend Veronica Robertson, Miss um, Queen in Chicago. Uh, I took her this dress. I was like, can you do this stuff to it? And then I still, uh, and then the dress was amazing, but uh, I had a lot of material left over. Mm, And so we get to New York and my little cousin, Bessie, who's my grandmother's namesake, which is why she always has to remain close because, you know, me and my grandmother think it's thieves. But um, we get there. I say, you know what, Bessie? I say, I need a pop of pink. I can't just wear all this black. I got these roses up in here. (laughs) So I said, let's go over here. Chelsea's go. You know, I know the garment Mm -hmm. district. Yes. You know, anywhere. Yes. You know, we, you know how we do. Yes. We know clothes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like not just clothes. We know the ideation. Like we know how we want to look. Exactly. Right. Yes. Oh, exactly. You know, you know what yes. it is. It's like, how do I want to look? Like I want to, I want to have some gravity, but I also have to have some light. And, and I, I was like, feel, you know what, dude? Because I can tell That's how right. you felt. Listen, this is how I felt. So <laughs> I, I said, I'm gonna go down here and find me some pink because I want to, I want a cape and I want it lined in pink. So we went down. And, you know, I get the stuff. And the guys are just like, we having a good time. So I said, I know you guys got somebody who can sew in here. They're like, no, but you got to go across the street, go it. up to the eighth floor of this building, and you got to shout, Tony. <laughs> That's my kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. You know. Okay. Honey, I ran across the street. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Tony comes up. Tony speaks Tagalog. Oh, wow. So we had to find somebody who's going to translate. Wow. And then Tony hooked me up. So that pink From the Philippines? Like, Ago? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. I only know that because I had Filipino teachers. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Wow. So he, okay. so Tony, you know, we got to do. Wow. And so Tony made makes this beautiful stole or whatever, and I feel like that made the dress. Then uh, my cousin was hungry, so you know, we go down <laughs> to uh, you know the Chelsea Market, and I said, I don't know how I would do my hair because you all know, you know, I had locks, I cut them off. Then I'm like, you know, doing all this stuff. You know, I'm just guy like, oh, this I'm put all this fake hair. You got to find that. So I said, I can't just be on there, like, because, you know. So I said, you know, I said, I'm going to distract people because I don't know what to do with my hair. So I'm going to bring buy all the roses and all the flower arrangements, and I'm going to put it in my hair. Oh, and then okay. I had been on Clark Street, 
in uh, Chicago and I got this big kind of comb and I said I'm going to stick that so I stuck I the roses to- listen so you know how it was yeah. like this is how I felt I mean I wanted to represent for librarians but for me Tracy like I'm not interested in perfection I'm interested in creativity and what I wanted to kind of go there and be is I wanted to have made who I was that day like that's my mm-hmm. drag that day yes, my drag yes, that day is yes. that this outfit was not even complete until like maybe two hours ago mm-hmm. and like how I'm looking today is how I've created myself like that's how I want to you know like you were talking about like how I want to live the rest of my life however long that might be is I want to be of my own creation that's right yeah that's yeah, exactly you know. right yes yeah. well yeah. it was beautiful it was Thank beautiful. You. I love hearing yeah. the story of how it all came together. Yeah. It was incredible. Only you and whoever's listened to this is oh, going to know. No, yeah, I totally, yeah, yeah. totally understand that idea of knowing how you want to feel. Yes. In a particular way, because I felt that way for the 20th anniversary party we had. I had this long purple, I call it my prince um, you sort are of. magnificent. You are. Yeah, it was an incredible purple coat duster um, that I thought this is what I want to wear. Like you know right? You know how you want to feel and when I was coming, I remember when I was coming down and we were introducing everybody, I did a little twirl in it, which I didn't plan on doing but the moment just kind of overtakes you. Yes. You know? And so clothes really matter. In fact, clothes matter so much that we're going to be doing a special on clothes. We're going to do a special podcast on clothes because, you know, with Michelle Morales and May Hong. Oh yeah. Okay, that's a little preview for you all listening. We're going to do a whole thing on how we show up and clothes that we wear. Uh, Just to go back to the recalibration, I think that's part of the difference for me, too. It used to be how you looked, and now it's how you feel. How you feel. How you feel. And so, how you feel? How do you feel in your clothes? It's like how you feel, and that translates in bigger. Absolutely. But you lit up that room. Oh, my goodness. You lit up that room. Gorgeous. I just, I'm so proud of my friends. You know, that's something that I feel. I feel the same way. So deeply. I'm like, it's it's like We're amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And we don't generally say that. Yeah. We don't generally take that in, that we're doing some extraordinary work and work that's needed and trying to figure out ways to have humor and joy as part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But do you all think that's because of community? You know, I think about, you know, both of you, you are both so good at curating community. I wonder sometimes if that sense of um, accomplishment or real accomplishment isn't fostered more because of that community. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because both of you are really at the top of your your games and there's a lot more obviously mm-hmm. that will come for mm-hmm. sure but i think you've also been very intentional about creating community yeah there's some sort of quote somewhere that's like surround yourself with people that you admire or something like that and i feel that so strongly i feel that definitely about each of you having moved away from chicago and viewing it um from afar that is how I view it. I see, you know, you just mentioned Michelle Morales, who who I love dearly, and Mei Hong. I see so much happening in Chicago. You know, we were talking about the mayoral transition yes. last mm-hmm. night and the role that you, Mary, mm-hmm. played. Um, but even the transition team announced, you're like, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. These are, like, heroes. People that, that are... you really respect, and you know you share some 
some true understanding with yes. at least from my perspective yes. that's what I thought yes we were talking about Avery R. Young on the way oh, here like yes. poet laureate and so you know. excited for him heroes yes, so absolutely. you know it's it's one thing to know folks but it's another thing to um, be in awe of that yeah. community yeah. and feel lucky to be a part of it which is how I feel me too. you know me too yeah. it's we're we're very we're very fortunate yeah. in that way, I think. And I think it makes sense to acknowledge that and to raise it because we get, I, I feel anyway, that I get so consumed by the work, which is what I love, yet not having any opportunity to have any sort of perspective on it uh, and and not wanting that to wait to happen. Yeah, yeah. Is that how you feel? Yeah, I do sometimes. I really feel like I am in it and I like being in it. Yet, I don't have the time that I need to reflect on it, yeah. you know, which could lead us into rest and resilience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you all told me I love last night when we were talking like, um, what are we going to talk about? We're not resting. <laughs> yes, we may be resisting. That was pretty <laughs> funny. I was like, Mary, I don't know what that word means. Do you want me to pretend? No, not at all. I think that's the reality of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Sounded so, it out like rest. Rest is the T silent. Is it oh rest? <laughs> <laughs> but but yet I think that is I want to strive to do something different. Yeah. I want to keep working on trying, right, to get rest. Um, I think we are resilient, um, and are we figuring out ways to really have a renewal, to really rejuvenate ourselves? So that's come up. <laughs> We're just let's just talk about that because you all both said very clearly the rest piece was not working for you, and I'd love to know. What does that mean, and how do we how do we address that? Um, I have trouble sleeping, mm-hmm. and I have come to terms with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I wake in the night. I call it my middle of the night musings. Mm-hmm. I think that I don't have enough time to hear my own thoughts mm-hmm. during the day mm-hmm. to, exactly. to make sense totally of things, that like way. you're saying. Absolutely. And so sometimes I think I wake myself up just to to be able to process. Mm -hmm. And it moves from like, I'm not making lists of all these things. Like I'm actually unpacking things and trying to make sense of it. Sometimes I write. Um, I wrote a prayer in the middle of the night for my staff. Oh, I I saw that. At the end of the year last year. Mm -hmm. And, um, And writing, I think, is actually a way that I make meaning. But at night. And during the night? Um, not always during okay. the night. You know, like I was writing this morning while okay, you all right, were right. sleeping. Mm-hmm. And after I walked, mm-hmm. my, my very bad dog. Oh, my God. That's a bad dog, right? <laughs> um, but a sweetie. <laughs> she's, she's cute. He is. Um, but after I, I sat at the kitchen table, so sitting at the kitchen table and writing, I, I look out the window. I don't even watch the keys. My hands just move. Mm. And I make sense of the world around me. And, and a lot of what I write, no one will ever read. Um, but that really helps to, to ground me. And some of the things that I write are their poems, um, their, you know, letters. Mm-hmm. I write letters to the city of Detroit a lot mm-hmm. to explain, mm-hmm. like, what we're thinking and what we're doing. Um, that's, that's where I make peace and try to figure out what this life is about. So not 
having the time during the day, which is something I experience as well, of really trying to process things. I end up doing that right before I go to bed, maybe, yeah. or I do it first thing in the morning. Um, I'm trying to really not have some of that over the weekends, but it happens there as well, because it just does, because that's when I have blocks of time free in a way that no one else is, you know, sort of involved in them. How, how do you think about rest, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and are you getting any, and yeah, how are you handling that? Uh, before I get to that one, okay. the librarian in me. Yes, please. Yes. Um, one one thing, and I hear you too, because I always say, you know, as Angelique is, is saying that I do a lot of like writing and musing for myself, mm -hmm. right? But one thing, sometimes we might say, well, nobody's ever going to look at this or want to look at this, you know. Of course, children want to see you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that was really important for me is when my mom passed away, the ledger that she had, right? I went through everything that she had written in that ledger, like everything. She had this huge ledger. What kind of things did she Oh, she would, that? you know, she would uh, write something about, like, talk to mom today. She's not blah, 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 feeling, you know, good or tried to reach so-and-so. Or then she'd just have, like, the gardener's name and number and the, or, you know, she'd talk about the grandchildren. It was just a kind of... Uh, planner stream of consciousness a little bit diary uh -huh. and phone book yeah. and all of this right and all in one yeah but it just kind of gave me mm -hmm. real insight into her life and how she thought about it right. but i, I want to say this angelique really quickly and anyone else who's who's listening is that um we are parts also of community so there may will be a time that some graduate student or couple might want to look at black people or women or both who headed foundations mm -hmm. at this time. Mm -hmm. And your papers, wherever you decide to put them, will become important for that. Mm -hmm. And I, I know this because I spent a lot of my time, especially in this fight about intellectual freedom, right. I spent a lot of my time calling up our archives and asking, can I get so-and-so's paper? Did so-and-so write? The person was executive director or the president. Can I see what they have? What they said? Can you give me transcripts of a meeting? Can we create transcripts? Are there any recordings? Because, And so I just wanted to say that yeah. because someone who comes after you will want to know mm -hmm. how you were thinking about something. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. thank yeah. you. Okay. Absolutely. So and that's I, a good yeah. note for anyone, yeah. as you say, who's listening, yeah. to yep. think about how you're, you know, sharing the work that you're doing, right. how it will be preserved over time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We could, t we could talk more about that. You know, organize things that you have. Um, if, you know, letters to your to your parents, to your family, letters that you wrote to the city, mm -hmm. um, photographs that you took over time of, like, if you take pictures of a building, mm -hmm. you know, over time, just put that together. It is going to be so important. we got to think, like, three, four generations in the future. Um, okay. As as for me, um, rest, no. <laughs> Period. No. Period. No. I'm like you. I've become very, you know, I have never been a big sleeper, but I have really... Um, been dealing with a lot of insomnia. Yeah. Mm. It's really hard for me to turn work off too because of this moment. Right. Right. And also too because, you know, the association um, has to become a new thing to respond, you know. And so we're always like in change. There's some, you know, change and evolution happening all the time. I have a lot of work 
period right. um, to do and then I have to fit that in like now with speaking more speaking engagements than before now that the world has opened up um, and more travel and all of that so it's, it's just hard to come down from that and I am the same way I want to be able to spend time just thinking and right. the only time I can really do that is when the rest of the world is asleep mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, you know I need that three to five which is like for me I tend to wake up every morning at about five I didn't do that this morning morning though I woke up good. at 621. Good. Lovely. Um, and went back to sleep. Allowed oh. myself to go back that to was sleep. The goal, which was wonderful because mm-hmm. yes. beautiful, beautiful space. Very peaceful. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always great to see you. You're Michigan home. Listen. You don't have to yes. say it more than once. Listen. <laughs> but no, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. You yeah. Know? But we need that time and I guess part of the challenge is how are we going to replenish ourselves to continue the work? Because there's a lot of work to do on it, at any given time, on any given day. How are we going to take care of ourselves in a way that provides the foundation to keep working? The airplane um, allows me to sleep because I'm not driving. <laughs> mm. yeah. And that's the reason why I took the train here. Yeah. Because it would just make me not worry about getting here and driving here. The train makes me slow down, just like baths do as well. I think that's it. I think what you just said, making choices in the hum of life. Yeah. Of, you know, how do I seek solace Mm -hmm. in this moment? Mm -hmm. I, I can't schedule it. And, you know, I can't make myself sleep, although I try. Mm -hmm. Um, but in, when I'm driving, when I'm someone else is driving mm-hmm. when I'm flying mm-hmm. when I'm taking mm-hmm. a trip I'm going to mm-hmm. look at my life and mm-hmm. I'm going to find time that mm-hmm. I can seek into you know no I, I do I make lots of decisions or think about things like I've come to an understanding coming off a plane a long plane ride or as I said being on the train even cooking I mean I have tried to continue cooking dinner uh-huh. and sometimes I like race in the door um, throw my stuff down I just am still in, like, my cute print dress. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> you love a good print. I do love a good when print. When you wear it today, it is. Thank yes. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, all of you. Um, but I'll throw on an apron, and I'll just cook. And I'll put music on. And it's just nice. a way that I can, you know, because your mind is, is cooking, too. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So yeah. you just, it's a way to kind of find it, find those moments. And how do we share those kinds of... Um, uh, those kinds of strategies with the folks we work with. How do we model? I, I'm not going to talk about work-life balance because I don't think that exists. Yeah. I don't think it makes sense to even talk about it in those ways. Um, but how do we model as a staff leader? Um, I can remember someone saying a few years ago, um, our our um, ED came in every morning early, worked late every night. We assumed that's what we were expected to do as well. And that's and that's been hard for us to maintain. Or even my own team who will say, well, you know, you were sending us um, uh, emails on Sunday night and we thought we needed to respond to them. And I said, I am so sorry. That's me getting organized. Yes. And now I'll just schedule them <laughs> so yeah. they won't bother you, yeah. right? Um, I said, only when I text you. <laughs> Is it more urgent? But I'm, that was, but not understanding how that was landing with people. It never occurred to me that they thought I was not on a Sunday night. No, but they were just trying to be so responsive. And I said, no, no, that's really me. It's about me getting organized. And now that I know that's happened, I'm just going to schedule those emails. <laughs> 
I was just thinking of this like uh, TikTok that I saw uh, where it was like different generations mm -hmm. and it was like started with the boomer and like it, getting a video call at like mm. nine in the morning and it was like Carol and it was like a boomer was like good morning Carol like uh, can I help you and then it was like a Gen Xer and the Gen Xer was like Carol, you know, <laughs> and then like, but like, Anton was like, "What's up, Carol?" You know, and then it was like the millennial walked by and was like, mm -mm, "No," and like mm. kept walking, and then it was just an empty chair for the Gen Z that was like not even going to show up at that mm -mm. time. Like, mm -mm. sorry, so no, no. I do that actually is real. think my staff. Uh, I think they have pretty good boundaries. Like, they don't often send emails at night. It's very rare. They don't send emails on the weekend or. Teams messages like I actually think that they know, and a lot of the youth on my youth council they'll say like they're not about coming to a job where they're just like trading their mental health. They're not about that. Like they understand that that's a part of what they want to do, and they want to work in a place that fills them up in some way. But they have a lot of other things that they you know more naturally prioritize. So I'm trying to learn from them. Again, right? Yeah. They they. They understand how this could work. And yeah. what about for you, again, as you have traveled more now, yeah. um, just really needing to show up in a variety of different ways because, yeah. of, as you say, this moment in history. Yeah. How are you modeling some management of that that gives you some opportunity to, to stay healthy? Yeah, definitely. Well, so, well, talking about that explicitly. You know, I think I'm paraphrasing here, but I think uh, James James Baldwin uh, does say there's a quote in which he says, um, you know, he who finds no time for rest will, you know, find it really hard to continue. You know, mm -hmm. something like that. That is true. And um, and I, I say that, you know, to the staff, you know, I definitely say that. I remember all staff, you know, I say, you know, we work hard, you know, we got to deliver. Right. Um, because ours is a service, you know, a mission of service. So when you have your time, take it. Take vacation. Enjoy it. Absolutely. Um, you know, let's try not to, unless it is an emergency, let's try not to interrupt that. For staff, you know, my staff for sure, the people who I directly supervise and work with, you know, I always say when you're on vacation, if you hear from me, that's because it's it's like, mm -hmm. you know, something's happening to the exactly. world and I want to make exactly. sure you're safe. Exactly. But otherwise, mm -hmm. I try to really preserve that and I, I do that scheduling of emails. Um, sometimes things do come up where my immediate staff, we do have to work and huddle and things like that. And I always say, like, you know, when are you going to take this time exactly. back? Exactly. Um, and I think I think we know that. And and so, you know, people will talk about, you know, oh, I'm going to train for this marathon or uh, one of my staff members just came back um, from just time on the beach. And we sell it. Nobody feels embarrassed about that. I think we have a culture of you work hard, but you take time and you see that self-preservation is making you sharper. And I know for myself, even though it's hard for me to sleep when I do find some downtime, that is when I actually am the most productive. Mm -hmm. Some of the best work I have done at ALA has been time I, for our strategy, the strategy that we're working with because we didn't have an opportunity to kind of take a year to do strategic planning. Right. We were like right mm -hmm. in the midst of, of doing some work. Building the plane and flying it too. Building the plane yeah. and flying it too, mm -hmm. especially. Um, a lot of that was, um, I went up to Michigan and um, I was right. I was right there in Benton Harbor. Oh yeah. 
at the beautiful beach, you know, Benton Harbor has beautiful beach there, and um, and and wrote like the skeleton, and then took it back to our staff and to our board to say, this is just the straw man. This is just sort of like the the skeleton. Let's put meat on this with our stakeholders, and a lot, 139 people had informed that, but just putting it together in a framework, and so you know, there's a lot to be said about moments of repose, moments of reflection, moments mm -hmm. of rest. Mm -hmm. So I'm picking up Michigan is the key. Michigan's pretty good. I'm also noting that you are quoting James Baldwin and I'm quoting TikTok. So, <laughs> hey, hey, both very important. Hey, listen, both very listen. important. And how about I know the exact TikTok that you're Do talking you? about? Okay, because, okay. Yeah, that person does a series. And, and Generation X is always, um, work, you know, with the way we work, you know, the way the Generation Xer works in that, you yeah. know, I relate to that being a Generation Xer. There's something that, you know, and uh, and I think we have to acknowledge, you know, the different ways that people show up, but there is a sense of, um, at least in this outpicturing of it that uh, the person on TikTok is doing, where the boomer is doing it because it's like a cultural piece and it's yeah. kind of like how you kind of stay in the game or yeah. how you stay employed, but there's like a sense of real personal like commitment or obligation yes. that the generation Xer feels yes. I don't want frustrated but still but still I'm yeah. here yeah. and he's and, and, and is the only one that actually is doing a lot of the work that's right you really have seen this yeah uh -huh. no 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 I mean always it's like the work and I, I definitely have and, and you know it's all some of that is just you know it's like conjecture and stereotype so it's, all, it's not gonna speak for everyone but I do feel like as a generation Xer um, two, that there is a way that we show up in the workplace that's very specific. Yeah. Um, and carrying a lot of, sometimes not the, not all the gloss and yeah. the floss of it. Just the, the, the real real. The bone and the marrow of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the thing with, uh, oh shoot, I forgot what I was going to say, but it was about TikTok. Uh, oh, I remember okay. now. Um I don't know how you all feel when you're watching these reels or mm -hmm, TikTok, mm -hmm. but I am struck by how talented people are. Mm. Do you ever get that thought? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Like, oh my absolutely. goodness. And you see, though, if you think about it, folks who started on, maybe it wasn't TikTok, but some form of social media, someone like Issa Rae. Yes, well, you know, true. The, With the, YouTube. What people are showing us. Yeah, yeah but I even amazing. mean like, everyday people oh, yeah. it reminds yeah. me of like when you were younger and a friend came over and you like worked out a dance routine mm -hmm. and then you like made your parents watch you do it mm -hmm. you know um or you lip synced like an album and made your parents watch you uh -huh. as you like flipped uh -huh. it over and right. uh -huh. like that's what they're doing they're lip syncing do they're doing dances mm -hmm. like it's just a lot of talented people who practice things for a long time, and we're like the viewers. Because before they have recorded for TikTok, they've been practicing, practicing for a long practicing. time. But that should be uh, something that we should think about a nonprofit and a philanthropic in the association world is that the genius is out there and it's in the it community. Is all over. What these folks who are creating this content have is that they can take it directly from the point of creation to an audience and they don't have to have an interlocutor or a middle person or somebody a manager. Says, oh these are your thoughts let <laughs> right. me put it up here and we need to we need more of that we do we need to go right to and with the people because that's where the genius is it's so true right. so then ai yes i was just gonna say let's talk a little bit about ai 
um, because I am both, you know, excited and very nervous about it. Um, and, and we've already started in a few places to use it a little bit at Morton Group. What, what are you all thinking? About I AI? mean, I have one story okay. that I want to tell. Okay. Um, and then one suggestion. Mm -hmm. My story is that I was beta testing Bard for Google, which mm -hmm. is their like chat or okay. AI chat. And I had to give a keynote on racial equity. And so I put into hmm. Bard, um, help me write a compelling keynote about why racial equity is important. Mm -hmm. And it spit out like, it was pretty good. Like, it was not your usual platitude I know. at all. I've seen Like, that. I was like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. um, and then I put in, help me write a keynote, a compelling keynote about why racial equity is not important. Oh. And it said, I cannot do that. Really? I do That's... not believe in hate speech. <sighs> and further, I believe racial equity is important. So that's an algorithm, that's yeah. a programming, wow. that's a developer choice. Yeah. Yes, it very clearly is a choice. It's a, it's a developer choice. choice. Right. That's right. And so we, we need to have um, regulations put on AI. Absolutely. But there are choices being made around ethics somewhere now. along the mm -hmm. line. That's and right. so when we go to regulation, I think these regulations around ethics are really important because you, there's a lot of stuff on the internet about why it's not important. That's right. right. And so they're not dynamically pulling. Mm -mm. They're actually making judgment calls. That's so right. one, I think we need ethical regulation mm -hmm. on this. And two, I think we need a watermark that shows something was created by AI. Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. And that has to be Agreed. mandated or it has to be like you're charged a lot of money or you're or right. something, yes. you know, right. like the Drake song that came mm -hmm. out or how they're replicating like voices of people, yes. like children yes. and or even artists, you know, like the fact that you can create a photograph that you can you could get rid of artists. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I actually think that they should watermark. Um, any art that's created by AI and that we should charge more if it was made by actual human artists and make that the like the 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 value the currency of human created things AI right. is lower lower Absolutely. value right right yeah I mean I love what you said there and I'm really pleased to see that um, Bard, mm -hmm. Bard you know is yeah. Yeah. Um, taking uh, this particular uh, type of anti-racist approach. Mm -hmm. or I, I definitely believe we have to work towards um, the Internet in ge general becoming abolitionist, right? Oh, yes. Um, because I think that um, I think that it is not that space right now. No. And I think AI stands to replicate the same hegemonies and stratification that we experience um, in uh, the rest of the digital world and in um, you know face-to-face -face life if it is not interrupted. I think I hear you when um, you say that you have some trepidation, Mary. Mm -hmm. I, I would say one thing that we want to do is what 
Angelica said, is that we cannot um, allow ourselves um, to be so wary that we don't um, cultivate AI so that it becomes much more of an abolitionist space or a social justice space or have that lens because people who want to use it for nefarious reasons are already oh, doing there. It. They're, They're already, already out there. doing right. it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And I just want you to give a little bit of a take on what you see as... Uh, how this can be abolitionist, just so people have a context for that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I think that we have, you know, an example. What you pointed to mm-hmm. was, you know, that um, the uh, speech said, hey, the bot is saying, hey, I can't do that. The I bot can't is do- doing possibly more than the Supreme Court will. Exactly. Right. Thank okay. you. No, exa- oh, say that again. <laughs> okay. okay. No, seriously, say that again. Mm-hmm. The bot, the, the AI, AI bot is actually doing more to prevent uh, racist uh, practices than the Supreme Court, our current Supreme Court, is doing. But see, that we is... Have a, we have a decision pending soon right. on affirmative action. But Yeah, we have a... Exactly. And just had an incredible, of course, decision made about Native communities. Yes. Right. Was, Which was a surprise. A, completely unexpected. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But I think it is that it is that an idea of choice. So, you know, if we think about, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion, you know, is there an equity, diversity, and inclusion team uh, or officer, you know, at Google who is saying this should be our approach yeah. because obviously something is showing up or is it an individual developer? Um, and so we have a lot to do to sort of thank that person, but it definitely lets you know as organizations and as individuals, our intentionality around AI, um, around VR, virtual uh, mm-hmm. reality, around augmented reality, those are all not the same things, right. right? But we have to have that same intentionality because if we if we understand understand, you know, what our earlier conversation was, is that, you know, things around discrimination and uh, redlining, information redlining or community redlining, if those things are not tenable, if they will lead to, say, a San Francisco that was thriving um, in uh, the 80s and 90s to a San Francisco of today where it is now more expensive to live in Oakland than it is to live in San Francisco, and I'm not, yes, you know, I'm a California. That is, okay, so we just start looking, acknowledging Angelique's face, that is absolutely Absolutely true. I have friends who live in Oakland. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, because... Um, San Francisco did not um, do as much. I mean, later it, it is doing a lot now, but when it when they really could have arrested it, um, you know, there was so much gentrification and so much wealth displacing people in San Francisco that today, let that be a cautionary tale for any community that thinks it can get better um, or over the long term become a more desirable place to live simply because uber wealthy people are moving into it. In fact, the opposite is true, right? right? Because you don't have the stewardship. You don't have the protection of public works and public schools and all those things. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, one 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 thing I have to say is that I want, like, you know, when people say there's like, oh, children, I say I want all the people who are willing to parent and to raise uh, a child um, and, and give them love and in a healthy environment as much as they can have children. And I want anyone who is willing to be in a space where you will arrest um, some of the hegemonies uh, before they creep too deeply you know, because they're already there in in AI uh, to really begin to harness the technology. Let's use let's use it um, to actually create progress. 
Absolutely. And that's what I think is so exciting about it. There's so much we can do. And, and hearing the story, Angelique. I love that story, Angelique. I'm just so excited wild? to yes. hear that. Yeah, I was really, I, I was really scared when I plugged it in. And then I was really, like, taken aback by it. And then I was like, I love you. Then I was like, I love you, bud. <laughs> Will you marry me? <laughs> I'm just kidding, Sean. Who's <laughs> <laughs> not paying attention not paying to you attention, at all. No. Not at all. No, no, no. no, no. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. I wanted, yeah, we wanted to just check in on the AI piece. And there's a lot more to come. And uh, yeah. I am, I'm not, I'm. I, I feel so much better now, yeah. honestly, after think hearing about, that story. Think about nonprofits that might be able to use AI to do a grant application. And, yes. Oh, my God, yes. You know? Yes. And they oh, don't yes. have to go through all the rigmarole. Which is... And then they just check, absolutely. like, pull our mission, absolutely. pull this, pull this. Absolutely. Like, so there's there's some good things that All those happen. things that people realize they didn't actually need mm -hmm. during the height of COVID, but somehow we've started to slip back toward. Yes. You know, wow. all the things that we actually don't need this information. And you can use an application that some you did for another group. Um, as you know, I was doing some interim work in a um, uh, place far away <laughs> uh, in Bozeman and um, talked to uh, a funder who said, oh, no, this is your this is your check in. It was a conversation. And she said, and we're giving you these questions we're asking you to answer these questions. However, if you don't want to answer them, that's okay. And that will not impact you getting the money. Thank you. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. It, it, was a, it was incredible. And so all these things, all this progress that I felt philanthropy overall was making in the height of COVID, um, it's, it's, it's continuing to be very unevenly applied. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in most cases, people started to go back to what we didn't really need to do. Yeah. yeah so that's been a little concerning. I mean, how is that as somebody who's running a foundation and with regard to expectations that people have um, as they move forward? You know, I think about at Skillman, we are so intentional about trying to operationalize racial equity. Mm -hmm. And we are really aware of the backlash that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this Supreme Court decision is about higher ed, but it's about so much more. Oh, yeah. Um, and it is about regulating any sort of acknowledgement about race. Yeah. And it will quickly, should it pass, quickly move to foundations. It will quickly move to nonprofits. Right. Um, and the work that we're doing at Skillman would not be allowed. You know, doing a racial equity audit and, and tracking where every penny goes by race and then reporting it publicly wouldn't be allowed. Right. Um, being clear that you have an emphasis on BIPOC organizations, on BIPOC investment funds owned, that you have a definition not on diverse managers, which are women and minority owned. I'm doing a lot of air quotes right now. Yes. Um, which means a lot of white women and like very few people of color, but have being clear, disaggregating like the the sort of nebulousness when we talk, but being crystal clear and focused on race, um, that will go away. And so for us, we are we are in the process. So we've done it. You know, um, we've worked on where our dollars are going. We've worked with Xavier Ramey from mm, Justice yes. Informed. Um, he came and he worked with us on the internal culture mm -hmm. because there's a reason why you make all those decisions. Um, we are, you know, now have an RE committee and I formed that committee by saying uh, RE committees, DIA, DIA, DEI committees are the kiss of death. Mm -hmm. Like nobody wants to be on these. It's usually folks of color who are charged, have no authority, no budget and are charged with solving racism. 
that this ain't that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, we're we are in the meta reflection of all of the things, the policies, the pieces, even things like our dress policy, even things like you know our our. Um, health and wellness policies. We have sabbaticals now that we offer to folks where they you don't have to do anything because you've already done it, you know? Yeah, that's how you got to the sabbatical. Yes. We <laughs> right. just had a conversation with the board about metrics. You know, mm. how do you change this, mm. this idea that, you know, you're going to impose your thought on, on how change happens on a nonprofit to make them create fiction to make you feel better. Like, how do we disrupt that? Um, and also understand that you have a sphere of aspiration. I was talking mm. to one of you about this last night. Me, I remember. Okay. me. <laughs> you have a, a sphere of aspiration yes. of what you are aiming for, which should be big and bold and audacious. Um, and then you have a sphere of influence, which are all the folks you run with, all of the folks that you could run with, um, all of the like ideas and the, and then you have a sphere of control. And that's like, those are the grants you make. Those are like, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. way you show up every mm-hmm. day. Um, that's the way you build trust. And so for so long in philanthropy, we have held everyone accountable to our sphere of aspiration. So it's like you give a grant and you say, how have you created an equitable education system? And actually that's not, that's, that's so far removed. So we actually have to work within our sphere of control to have a better guidance on our sphere of influence wow. to try to move a little bit closer to that sphere of aspiration collectively. That's a lot to figure out. That's a lot to figure out. And that's a lot of change inside. So, so that's the work that we're doing at Skelman. That's profound. I'm, I'm speechless. I'm, that's incredible to to do that and to make it to really fold it in, right? It's this idea to your point about folks being on a DEI committee and what does that really mean? Yeah. Because they generally are not set up with um, uh, sort of managing expectations, right? Yeah. People get in and think, well, we we thought this, so it's going to be so, right? And it's like, no, that's not how the rest of the organization sees it, and certainly not how leadership sees it. Yeah. It's an advisory council at best. Yes, yes. At best. Yes. And so understanding that, understanding those parameters, it doesn't mean it can't be uh, fruitful or it doesn't mean it can't be productive, but people need to go into it understanding those kinds of parameters because if not, they get very, very disappointed and very frustrated with yeah. the process. Yes, yes. Even sharing power, which is something we talk about, distributed leadership, sharing power. Yeah. What does that look like at work? What does that look like in a hierarchical organization? Right. Um, but we are in the, the messiness of it, really trying to quantify like how power is shared and acknowledging to each other that this is like very messy work. Um, I start every staff meeting with a poem. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I've had another staff member like a month and a half or two months ago, she shared a poem too. But a lot of it is because this work is poetry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that helps. Mm. This work is poetry. Yeah. Absolutely. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've just lost my next train of thought. As I, you were, I was so busy <laughs> thinking about that. Um, yeah, it's so beautiful. It is. It's really beautiful. We're going to be lifting that up. Um, here's what I wanted to talk about. This piece around um, how we show up and work and how, you know, the messiness that you're dealing with now also lifts up for me even the term that, you know, I've certainly used a lot, professionalism. Mm-hmm. What does that mean now? 
um, because what we're seeing, I, at least what I'm seeing, is that people are trying to be, even in the workplace, right, to be more authentic, to bring their entire yeah, selves. Yeah, yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And certainly as someone who started a business over 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's 22 years this yeah. year. It's shocking to me. Um, how I showed up in as a sole proprietor and as a um, black woman doing this work, I, I'm trying to tell staff there are many things that I felt I... I had to be in the room in a particular way or else I wasn't going to be in the room. And so now we may not need to consider some of those factors in quite the way we did before, yet I, it's hard for me just to turn that off, if you will. Yeah. You know, I just can't say, oh, well, we don't need to worry about that and it's not a big deal. Because I believe people still have those thoughts but now what we have, which we didn't have before, was a reputation that we had built over yes. a period of time. I don't think that means we don't have to do something. So And so maybe that's part of my internalized you know, racism, right? And just constantly thinking. And, and certainly, you know, was, was told this growing up, you've got to be better. You've got to do more to be successful. And do you get to a certain point where you don't worry about that as much and you feel you can be more of yourself? I mean, I've had some of my team members saying that I want to do some things that might or they could potentially reflect a Morton group. And, and I'm like, well, what do you, you know, why are you worried about that? Or I'm not worried about it. Or what is it? For instance, when I even and I'll just use this as a real example, when I was doing the work uh, on the campaign, the mayoral campaign, I very intentionally just said, you know, I will I will introduce the, um, you know, at that time incoming mayor. Um, and I just said Mary Morton. I didn't say anything about Morton Group. But when the press wrote up that story, it was Mary Morton, president of Morton Group. Right. And I thought, okay, is that going to be a problem? Should I be worried that it's a problem? Uh, and, and, in fact, do we want to work with people who will have that, who will have a concerns about that as a problem of, of me being very clear about my support of this you know, candidate. Yeah. So that's something that I'm really thinking more about and how to be honestly much more open. I mean, one of the things that people say about our podcast are that people are seeing a different side of me mm -hmm. and I'm having these when I'm having these conversations with you. That's and I'm and I'm opening myself up more in a way that I don't generally do. But I think part of that is just, yeah, it's it's time, it's age, it's feeling settled in a particular way. Like I've gotten to a particular place and that it's okay for me to say and do these things, and if people aren't okay with it, then see ya. There's no neutrality. That's that's false. Yeah, yeah. There is no neutrality. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, things legally yeah, that yes, I can do and exactly. say as a private, right. independent foundation. Right. So I literally, I like have to mime like mm -hmm. I'm taking my foundation mm -hmm. hat off, mm -hmm. and right. but like you're a, a business, mm -hmm. you know. Right. Businesses, they companies have more impact on policy and politics than than Congress does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think you know being able to put yourself out there. ALA, um, you know, you say you you're doing just what any librarian would do. The you're doing what any um, justice focused, yes. you know, mm -hmm. human would do. Yes, you have shown up in that organization. I mean, I can almost like get emotional the way that you have like embodied this role in Absolutely. this moment, Tracy. There couldn't be anyone better for this role in this moment than you. And the way you talk about libraries in prisons mm -hmm. in particular, 
I don't remember that being a focus of the ALA before. The way you talk about, you know, liberation and tie it to literacy, I don't remember that. Freedom. You yes, know, being yes. a part of that before, which is why yes. I thought you wrote that phrase because you live that phrase. Oh, wow. You yes, know? you absolutely do. So I think, you know, libraries could, could choose to sit this one out and say, you know, we want to... We're on the sidelines for this. We're a neutral space, but that's actually none of no, us. No, inaction valid. is taking a position. That's oh yeah, exactly absolutely right. right? Yeah. That's right. No, yeah. I mean I think you know um, it's funny that you talk about prisons because I was interviewed um, not long ago um, for another podcast, and the interviewer said, um, you know, I listened to a few interviews with you in preparation for this one, and you rarely talk about librarianship or libraries without mentioning prisons. Why? Mm. And I said, because mm-hmm. I haven't had much of my career as a librarian happen without having someone close to me, you know, be incarcerated, right? So I think, and so we're just getting ready to present our um, standards for library services for people who are incarcerated and detained mm-hmm. at this annual conference of the American Library Association, which will uh, which will uh, begin um, on the 23rd through 27th, and actually the prelude will be a rally um, for the right to read on the 22nd, which will feature, you know, our good brother, our, our great friend, um, Ibram Kendi, Dr. Ibram no, Kendi. Yes, yeah, so it'll be it'll be really wonderful. But um, we'll present those standards. And those standards, you know, hadn't been updated for about 30 years. So the so. ALA, you know, there are seasons, right, when the association is really focused on things and then it moves. But um, certainly one of the things that I think many of us felt is that with the rise of mass incarceration, um, it was time to take uh, those standards off the shelf. And there's been incredible uh, librarians who work in prisons and that work is being led by people who were in prison. Uh, and um, two of the um, two of the uh, lead editors uh, were people who were incarcerated. One is now a librarian, uh, and uh, Elder Ray James, and the other is um, one of our great poets uh, who was incarcerated, uh, Randall Horton. So, um, so I, I think it's it's just about ebbing and flowing. But I want to I want to say about uh, professionalism. I was thinking about that, and I was uh, I was talking to someone who was asking me about dress and work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how um, you know I think you know I've adopted a, yeah I'm very freestyle when it comes to clothes. Mm-hmm. We just talking about clothes. Mm-hmm, I, yeah. I want to feel like I, I, you know how I feel is how I show up. Yes. Right. But I you know I try to be appropriate you know mm-hmm. to the things. I'm not going to wear Bermuda shorts you know to mm-hmm. some. But <laughs> which um, are never appropriate. <laughs> That's, just, that's a whole nother that's show. A whole nother that's show. a whole nother okay. show. <laughs> but uh, that's hilarious. I'm thinking about, you know, movie has flamingos. You know. But um, one, one thing we, I was saying is I was saying, you know, you got to sort of figure out what your style is within sort of like right. what the expectations are because sometimes those parameters can give you places to play, right? So if you're going to a black tie event, like, 
get up in there yeah. and own it. Yeah. You know oh, what I mean? Yes. So, uh, so I was remembering, you know, back when I worked for Boeing, which, you know, was such a great education working in global corporate citizenship, I wore suits every day mm-hmm. because I didn't mm-hmm. want to try to figure out mm-hmm. um, if I was, like, within, like, what the expectations were. But I, I curated my, those suits so that it fit my personality. So it, I might have a big brooch or I might have, like, a fuzzy, yes. you know, something, you know, going on here. So it was always my style. And I remember my last day at that job, um, I actually ended that job when I was on a trip where I was near ending. And I took off one of my best suits and I laid it in the chair in the hotel and I and everything I had the earrings and everything, even the shoes that I was wearing. It was really ceremonial, but also too being plus size and all of that. I know that um, our clothing can be really expensive for something simple. And I said, whoever, whoever gets this, let it go to the right place. Let it go to somewhere mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, this person left, and I and so they wouldn't return it to me. I said, I'm just leaving this here. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the. But for me, I'll tell you what professionalism is. It is less about, like, the clothing that I wear, but I need to make sure that when I'm in the room, I'm prepared. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, right. And I'm a laid-back type of person. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a... I'm a I'm a type A masquerading as a type B. I just think that I'm not masquerading. That's really how I am. Right. I think I kind of am laid back, but at the same time, I'm like really focused. So sometimes how that looks for people is often when I'm about to speak or something like that, you know, I'll just be, I don't know, I don't want to say chilling, but you know, I'll just be like in the cut and people are like, oh, you're about to go on. Uh, are you? Do you have everything? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Because mm-hmm. uh, you, well, you don't look you like you're getting ready. Yes, That's exactly. What it is. You don't and, look like you're getting ready all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. and and I like for me, if it looks hard, then I did I did it wrong. Yeah, it has to look really simple for me. Like that's my test for myself. So professionalism for me is showing up, having read everything and I just have it in my head like even when I was in school you know as an undergraduate people would say you never look like you study for the test like everybody's sitting there with all 500 mm-hmm, books open mm-hmm. and all this stuff now I'm not gonna study in class I need to listen to what the teacher's saying exactly what the professor's saying like right. I'm listening everything you say I'm clocking right uh-huh. you like yo mm-hmm, I got you mm-hmm. that how I for me what I need to do for professionalism looks a little bit different because I'm a you know I'm me so I got and so I just say preparation being mission driven uh-huh. being focused and also when other people are speaking talking testifying witnessing be into what they're saying yeah. be in the moment be, yes. no, no 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 not just in the moment be into them oh, okay yeah. Yeah. okay be a witness okay right? oh, it's okay. like like okay. in church mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. testimony and witness yes. they are not the same thing yes. even though people use them interchangeably Absolutely. When you testify, testify. When you're witnessing, witnessing. Don't sit up here and testify while other people are, wit- you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if you feel me. I, yes, yes. Absolutely. I do. I oh, love yeah. that so much. And I think that's about um, professionalism and leadership. Mm. It's about leadership, mm. you know? Like, so much of professionalism feels like you're putting on your costume and you're going to Put on drag. Absolutely. Yes. But what you're talking about is actually like uh, being prepared. So you're not just like out there to, to hear yourself talk. Be prepared, show up, and like add to the moment. Feel the moment, add to the moment. And then let others add to the moment. Feel what they're saying and then create this like new thing. It's like this ensemble moving together. I love that. 
I, I love how that is sounding. I love what you've said, yet I know how I show up and get ready for something yes. is distinctively different. And yeah. maybe that's part of a theater background. I don't know, because I do feel like I'm getting ready to go on. You know, when I'm doing a workshop, that is part of, you know, because you may not feel like doing a workshop, but yes. we've got people coming, yeah. we're gonna do a workshop, we're gonna, it's not their fault you had a bad day or you, you know, didn't sleep well. You've gotta be in that moment and you've got to show up in a particular way. Yeah. So, um, I and I, and for me, dressing a particular way makes me feel that way. Yes. You know, so, um, again, this idea about how you feel in the clothes and yes. how you feel you're showing up how you, what you look like and what yes. you want to look like. Yes. And how you want to appear in front of folks. That to me is all part of the, I mean, I, you know, we've talked a little bit about, we've, you know, got these various ways in which we organize our clothes and dressing chambers and, you know, all those kinds of things. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm trying to get up to your level, both of you. My, my stuff is like this little, my clothes talk to each other. They're like, you know, um, I'm super, super close. <laughs> I tell people about when you came down into that little room for the first time and that you just stood there and you were like, ah! I just screamed. Oh just my goodness. Your closet oh is... My God. But having the space to, for instance, I would never get up and decide in the morning what I'm wearing. I would, I just wouldn't do that. And I know some folks will just, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to see how I feel. Like, I, if I don't have a couple of options, yeah. because I want to be able to see how I'm feeling, the weather may change. Yeah. I just have to do it the night before. Yeah. And I know some other folks are like, I want to see. That's not, so all that preparation, to yes. your point, is is part of it. So laying out the clothes, yep. knowing what I'm going to say, running it a few times in the mirror, all that is what I would be doing to prepare in, in terms of how I show up. Yep. So what I'm also then hearing is, do we have, I, I mean, I'm hearing some groups say, well, why do we have to talk about quote unquote professionalism? Right, because is that not just feeding into white supremacy culture and how we are supposed to show up in places? And I don't feel that I can not keep that in mind. Yeah, but no race has like the corner on professionalism. No, absolutely, or no, right? no, or excellence. Right. No, I think right. professionalism so is self. understanding that within like your sector or your scope of work or whatever it is, you know, that you are striving towards some level of mastery. And and and, and yes, you can connote that in how you appear, um, you know, your comfort level in that. But also, it's about really the ideas. Like, are you up on? Are you really keeping up? with the dialogue and the conversation and also too are you learning and that's what I'm trying to talk about too because I see okay. some people who they believe professionalism is having all the right answers and taking oh, up all the space no. and I no. think professionalism oh, I is think different that. it's about leaving this conversation saying you know and, and that's when the work is poetry it's about mm -hmm. leaving this conversation and having a better understanding for me which is why I'm so committed to moving my schedule around and you mm -hmm. know coming to have this conversation because I understand that what this uh, podcast, what this work is all about for you is really understanding the evolution of leadership and management um, in a particular type of workspace. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and we have one of the masters of that in Angelique. So I'm also calibrating in terms of my own leadership trajectory, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, because mm -hmm. I'm a reluctant leader. Like, I'm not anybody I that feel that way as well, though. No. Yes. I'm like the People worst. are shocked when I say that. Yeah. No, but I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, so I think 
I think professionalism, yeah, I think we're all saying the 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 same thing, but it is about not about is no one owns it. It's not a racial thing. It's not I don't even think it's a class thing because some of the most ardent professionals, like I was walking out my house the other day and it was uh the sanitation workers and um I had like just a bag in my hand I was gonna walk around and they stopped the truck, took it from me put it in and waved and then I waved to the driver as well. That's professionalism. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Absolutely. like, we're not going to have you walk back there. Absolutely. I can take it right now. Right. We're going to yes. take care of you. Love that. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful example. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, which may seem like a turn, yet it is part of us, right? In some way or another, all of us are dealing with grief in a particular way. And I was really thinking about this with regard to you, Angelique, knowing that you lost two of your brothers in the last couple of years and almost two years to the day to the day. Yeah. And just thinking about what that's like. And I lost my brother, um, like the year before COVID happened. And, and just that we are always in this process around grief, even if we don't know it. That's right. That's right. You know, I think also because of COVID and how it impacted our communities, I realized Grief is very complicated and it's very personal, but I know so many people who are grieving right now. Mm -hmm. And I've actually started to buy sympathy cards in bulk, you know, because it's so common. So many of us are walking with grief Mm -hmm. as we walk Mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. And it is this process of making sense of not being able to physically see someone again, to like physically be able to have an exchange and a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually kept Zachary um, saying me happy birthday. Uh, And I was born in February, so Mm -hmm. almost a full year later he Mm -hmm. passed away, but I kept it Mm -hmm. and I played it Mm -hmm. for myself Mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Because grief is really, transmogrifying how we have relationships. They don't, it doesn't eradicate it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in conversation with my brothers, with my parents, with my grandparents, you know, with my great aunt Regina, like I'm in conversation with them all the time. I always say with my mom, I can like get a word in edgewise now, you know, every now and then. But like they guide me all the time and I think about people moving around this planet walking with grief and my I'm beginning to understand that which is like walking surrounded by ancestors that's that's a beautiful beautiful way to think about it and I feel like even thinking about it makes me feel better about the loneliness yes and the actual not having someone here yes Mm -hmm. yeah which is hard it is very hard. Yeah, lots of friends. Um, you know, this. Whole, you know, so many people dying of cancer, which I'm thinking this. You know, this is clearly environmental in some cases. It just lots of things that, um, of course, we don't have any control over them. Yeah. And uh, but I really love that image of walking with our ancestors. And it makes you realize that there's a finite amount of time that we have, and we have shit to do. You yes. know, there is an assignment. Absolutely. And so I think that that also helps to power it, that we don't know, we don't know. Right, you know? that's exactly right. The archivist next to me, Tracy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. made such a good point. Like, what we write, what we say, what we record, the time we spend, like, we are creating this archeology. span Right, yeah. And that will be left, you know, 
um, when we move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we will be walking right. with others that are here. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I'm making sense of it. You know, grief is also one of those things where suddenly you just feel like shit and you feel really bummed out and you're like, why do I feel this way? And you're like, oh my gosh, it's because I'm grieving. And I and everything in life is about minutia and focusing on like the next thing. Because if you actually sat with the realization that this is all ending for yeah. us, you would be paralyzed. Exactly, you wouldn't be able to move. Yeah. You would not be able to move. And so grief is like a peek into that. It is a wake up where you realize, okay, there's time ticking, and that's a gift to realize that. Yeah. And you realize you don't have someone anymore, and that that was a gift to have them. Mm -hmm. And so it creates more intentionality, I think. I, I think it does make you think, as you say, in a different way about time and having someone say, you know, um, and, and it just being the reality of the moment that you have more time behind you than in front of you. And that's yeah. really, you talk about something sobering. Yeah. Um, it's mind boggling. Yeah. And you, and I, you know, you don't think that way, yet it is the truth. And I'll just tell you this, I, I was at a conference and I bought, um, I was buying, I thought, t-shirts for someone else. But I think initially I thought, why well, should get a T-shirt? And oh, this one was really, <laughs> so I like these colors in the shirt. And the slogan was, the future is ours. And I realized later on, that does not really make sense for me to have. Mm. And that was really stunning to me. I thought I really wow. should be giving this to this other younger person I work with who's yes. in their 20s. <laughs> yeah. I should be giving them that T-shirt. And it just, it was like this, <laughs> Donnie, I mean, like, that's not my T-shirt. That's not well, my... I mean, the future, we don't, we have no idea. We have no idea. What happens. Right. It's like the next transition that can happen that could be, you know, I think Tina Turner was saying something like that. I saw some clip because she recently passed and she yeah, was saying, like, yeah. I'm not afraid to die. Yeah. Like, it's just another experience that I'm, I'm ready for when oh, it comes. That's an extraordinary because, way to think about it. You know, and I, there's something that I really do like about I, that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot because, of course, thinking about that and thinking about the folks that were lost during COVID, for people who really didn't get a chance to have any closure. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can't even imagine that. And I'm not talking about, like, some biblical idea of heaven. No, I know that. Oh, yeah, no, I'm yeah. not thinking about that either. Yeah. Absolutely not, even though that was how I was raised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Although I'm not thinking that either. I do have ideas either. of, like, a jazz club and, like, yeah. Yeah, I really do. I really do. So. Oh, my God. What, is this, what does this bring to mind uh, for you, Tracy? Yeah, well, you know, um, and I'm looking at Angelique's beautiful necklaces and mm -hmm. how you're holding your brother's clothes. It... One thing that I have had to navigate is that I accepted the role of um, accepted the role that I have now on January twenty fifth. Moved in it, moved into it on February twenty fifth. But I accepted the role mm -hmm. then, and um, or at least it was announced. I should say it was announced. And my aunt ended up dying on January 29th after oh. a long illness, and I had spent more time in LA. Um, during the year that my aunt was dying than I ever have um, since I've been, you know, an adult, have moved away from there. And and I, I remember that the first months, you know, we had COVID, you know, which was announced uh, March 10th um, mm -hmm. as a, a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so much to do within the organization to keep 
and support it and the libraries that we serve and remaining um, upright and 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 vibrant. Um, and at the same time, I was dealing with the loss of my aunt who had been like a mother to me um, because my, my mom died when I was about 26 years old. So, you know, I'd had my aunt so much longer, of course. Um, and not being able to really talk about that. You know, I, I remember um, going someplace uh, right before the start of COVID and after she died and people were celebrating um, the new position and it was boisterous and mm -hmm. a lot of, and I, that was the last thing that I wanted to hear because I had been um, thinking so much about my aunt that morning. And it almost, I just wanted to break down and cry. And mm -hmm. I just had to keep it, keep it together, keep it together. So I think grief for me is um, something that we live with, right? It is part of the leadership journey because you have to deal with loss or maybe the confidant that you would have had, the only person that you could talk about safely with some of the things you might be experiencing. Because the other thing about leadership is that um, it limits who you can talk to about certain things. That's why it can be so lonely mm -hmm. because you cannot risk sharing something that you might be going through that's keeping you up at night. Uh, and you can't risk sharing that and having that confidence, you know, uh, betrayed because it'll have an organizational impact. So a lot of times when you think about, when I think about people like my, my aunt, who I would have said, can I run something past you? She often did that uh, mm -hmm. to me. Um, I, um, you know, I just didn't have her mm -hmm. in, in the same way. So I think grief is something, you know, we're coming up to Father's Day mm -hmm. tomorrow. Oh, yes. And my dad just had a stroke. Oh, and so I was nice. in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's recovering. He's doing a lot better. Um, it's hard to keep a good man down. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I thought I might lose my dad. And it, and our whole relationship just mm -hmm. ran before mm -hmm. my eyes, you know. Mm -hmm. And I had to get back to L.A. And, 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 and what was interesting, when I walked into the room, because my dad was uh, paralyzed on his right side, um, when I walked into the room, not knowing how I was going to find him, he's like trying to hold his phone because my dad organizes this food giveaway every Monday yeah. in a park in L.A. Every Monday. Wow. Right. And the thing that he's trying to do is to try to find someone who will make sure that it happens, you know. And I remember thinking, okay, this this right here is why I love my dad. You know, I my mom and dad divorced when I was two. So me and my dad, you know, we've always had to kind of be really intentional about our relationship. Um, we've gotten better at it as we've both gotten older. But I realized that this is why I love my dad. Because my dad is just like navigating his own mortality. But the thing that's most important to him is that the food, the food giveaway happens. And I, I think about the fact that sometimes I question myself when I want to rest or should, why it matters to me to do the things that I, I'm doing or to serve in whatever way I can serve. And there I get my answer, you know, from my dad. Mm -hmm. So I had to grieve as well uh, that, um, you know, I could lose him too, you know. And uh, it's, it's just, it's something that we live with. I don't know we can have conversations about the dimensionality um, of leadership without understanding that we're always navigating some type of loss, loss of a relationship even. Well, that's what I, I made a note of, that um, it's just not 
people not being with us, yeah. right, being present, it's relationships. It's, I mean, I have, I, um, I lost my parents at an early age, my father when I was 16 and my mother when I was 21. And that, when I, seven days after I turned 21, I said, so this is the worst possible thing that could happen to me. And everything else lined up behind that. Mm. That's really how yes. I thought about it. And so it's, yeah, the loss of relationships. When someone who's worked with me for a long time leaves, I have serious abandonment issues around that. And yeah. so I, um, yeah, I absolutely grieve that, that person leaving, um, even understanding that it is a natural evolution. I want to encourage that. I talk to people always about what do you want to do next? Yes. How can I help you prepare for that? Uh, I mean that very seriously. And yet that doesn't mean I'm not going to miss you so much when you leave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. You take it personal. Oh my God! You yes, it personally with someone when it and when it really is not right. Uh, but and missing someone is proves that you loved someone. Yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. cost. Right, that's as a, a beautiful. Oh cost. my God! And that's what I, I was, love that. was worried about. Cost. Yeah. Honestly, when we got Dory, when we got our dog, I thought, God, I'm gonna like fall in love with this dog, and then she's going to disappear. You know, Sadie, when she was younger, and she first understood death. Mm -hmm. She said to me one night, we were lying in bed and talking before she fell asleep, and she said, Mama, I'm really scared you're going to die. Mm. And I'm really scared I'm going to miss you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to miss you so much. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you better miss me. <laughs> you know, how yeah, right, nice you right, are. That, right, you know? right. And I was like, and of course I'll be around and I'll be watching you and I'll be floating around. And, you know, I'll, you can, I, I think I told her, go to water, always go to water and, yeah. and then talk to me, mm -hmm. whether it's like a bathtub mm -hmm. or you go for a swim. Like, if you miss me, go to water and, and I'll be there. But that's the beautiful cost. Yeah, you better miss me, girl. <laughs> uh, I just, it's just, it, you know, it's the hurt of it. Yeah. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's the hurt of it all. And um, there's really no way to avoid it. And I think that's what I have, you know, just had to come to terms with. There's no way to avoid the hurt and the missing and the longing for that person and those conversations. And, yeah. you know, people I went to college with, watching the Tonys brought back memories. I have a friend who was an actor for a number of years in, in uh, New York, left Chicago to go to New York. And... I saw many people that he should be on stage with mm. at, the, at the Tonys, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And, yeah, it's that missing. It's hard. But it is the cost we have to pay for having those kind of really extraordinary relationships in our lives. And just trying to understand that and to be okay with it and to be okay to your point about I just need to, just need to have a good cry. And I'm going to be fine. Right. You know, I'm going to be fine. And... Um, what I have found is that I cry more easily now. I mean, I, you know, it could be a commercial with babies in it or puppies, <laughs> you know, or somebody winning a million dollars knowing their life is going to be changed. It's all those things that are just really, um, really impacting me in a different way. And it, it feels really good to be able to say that out loud yeah. To, yeah. to both of you. So um, I need to take you both to Petty Cash for brunch. Okay. All right. A black-owned restaurant. We're going there. Avenue of Fashion. Because we are in the we, D. We are in the D. We're in the and D. We're going to, to experience recognize. the D. We're going to wait. Yes. One of my favorite cities. Yes. 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 And so we're going to bring this episode of Gathering Ground to a close. And um, as is often the case, it's been heartwarming. Doesn't even begin to describe it. Um, I so appreciate both of you. And you too. Thank making you. this time. 
I love you both. I love you both so much. Love you. So we're doing the holding of the hands, which you can't see, but um, it's a really important part of uh, these conversations. So thank you so much. Mary, thank you for being an extraordinary documentarian. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank Thank you. And Angelique, thank you for being who you are, the shining light you are. And, and thank you, yes. Tracy, for being a thank warrior you, thank for you, justice. Thank you for everything. For everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, this is Gathering Ground. I'm Mary Morton. Mm-hmm.